1 Samuel 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for him whom I declare to you. And Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abedinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you have made known to us what you have done in the past. We pray that you would now take these words and make known to us what you want to do today in our lives, in this community, in the world around us. God, we offer ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you this morning, if I, if I ask you, you don't have to raise your hand today, but how many of you this morning would join with me in saying, I want to be a person who God uses? I want to be a person who God uses. I'm assuming the majority of you would probably stand up this morning if we asked, do you want to be used by God? I don't know anyone really that comes to church and says, I don't want to have anything to do with God. Most people want to be used by God. Well, how about this morning, how many of you would be willing to stand up and say, I want to be walking in the will of God. I want to be walking in the will of God. Again, I would assume that the majority are here, 99% would say, I want to be walking in the will of God. And the majority here would say, I want to be used by God. This morning, we come across an interesting text, thousands of years old. God is about to call someone new to lead his people, and God is using some interesting characters to call this person. And in the midst of this story, we get a glimpse into the heart of God. We begin to see who and what type of person God uses. We also get a glimpse into how does the will of God work and how do we find the will or how do we discern the will of God in our lives. 
And so this morning, we look to David, not really as an example for how to live, but we look to David to see how God has interacted with his people. We look to David to see how God lays out his purposes for us today. Samuel, the first person we find here in the story in in Samuel 16, is a prophet. He's God's chosen instrument for delivering God's message to the people of Israel. And so Samuel has been given the job of sometimes approaching the king, who's currently Saul, and maybe bringing a harsh word, sometimes maybe bringing a comforting word, but bringing a word to the king from God. Or sometimes Samuel would travel to a small town or a small village, and then the prophet would gather the people together and say, here's a word from the Lord. So Samuel had a specific job from God. Samuel just finished maybe his toughest job yet. He had to rebuke Saul and basically say to Saul, your days are numbered. Your kingship is not going to last much longer. And Samuel is burdened. Samuel, as it says here, is even grieving that someone who he had worked with is is now going to be set aside. And yet Samuel's given a task from God to go and anoint a new king. And so Samuel's directed, go to Bethlehem. Now, to understand kind of how who God chooses, we've got to understand Bethlehem. Bethlehem is not New York City. It's not like saying, hey, go to the center of the United States. That where culture is happening. That's where all of the, the bigwigs live. That's where all of the news breaks from. New York is where you want to be. New York, L.A., Chicago. Bethlehem is none of the above. Bethlehem is probably just a small town little Sioux Falls. Nobody really cares about Sioux Falls in the greater picture, or Sioux City even, right? I mean, Sioux City. Who says, hey, go to Sioux City, find the next president? God's saying to Jesse, hey, go to Bethlehem. What? Go to Bethlehem to Jesse, this tribe near Bethlehem? Who? What? What's going on here? Who's God going to use out of that bunch of people? So Samuel goes. And we kind of get an inclination of the mysteriousness of what God is doing by the way the people respond. So people don't know Samuel's in the process of anointing a new king. God's using a little bit of trickery here, actually. As Saul even asks, I mean, Samuel asks God and says, Hey, if, God, if Saul finds out that I'm going to anoint a new king, isn't the current king going to kill me? So God kind of works up a little trickery plan here and says, well, go and pretend you're offering a sacrifice. And so Saul, Samuel, excuse me, Samuel arrives in Bethlehem and the elders are thinking, this isn't good. Because when the prophet comes, usually it's a harsh word, a warning from the Lord. But Samuel says, let's gather together for a service of consecration. So again, the will of God is sometimes difficult to discern and sometimes can be hidden. The people around are not understanding what is God up to right now. Samuel doesn't even know totally what God is up to, but Samuel still goes. So Samuel arrives in the town and has Jesse come forward, who God has told him to go visit. Jesse brings all of his sons, and they've got a pretty sizable ranch, we'll call it, and he's got a bundle of sons that help him run this operation. So Jesse brings who you would think would be the next in line, the strongest son, the one who looks kingly, the one who looks 
like a military commander. And Jesse probably assumes this is the one that Samuel is going to choose to be anointed by God to use for whatever. Notice here, we don't know if they have any clue what's going on. They just know that God wants to anoint someone. In other words, choose someone to be used by God. We don't know if they know that they're being chosen to be king right now. I mean, they have no idea what they're getting consecrated for. They just want to be set apart by God. This idea of the oil being poured on was a, was a great symbol that God was going to use this person mightily. So, of course, Jesse's like, take my best son. From the outward appearance, it would be like, this is the one. But here's where Samuel hears from the Lord. The Lord says to Samuel, do not look at outward appearance, for that's what man looks at. But rather, God looks at the heart. Who is the type of person God uses? God uses someone who has their heart in the right place. God is not concerned about the externals, but rather God is concerned about the internal. In other words, the standards of God are different than the standards of the world. Who does God want to use? God wants to use someone whose heart is in the right place. This morning we read from Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching his followers, and he starts that teaching by just declaring a bunch of blessings. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who pursue righteousness. If you looked at each characteristic found there in the blessing, you'd notice that all of those are really internal characteristics. None of them are related to external appearance. But everything is about the development of character, the development of the soul, and the development of the heart. And then you get done with the statement on the blessings, and then Jesus goes in to say, say okay, you're going to be a city on a hill. You're going to be a lamp that shines for my glory. Who's going to be the city on the hill? Who's going to be the lamp that shines? The people who have these blessings that Jesus has just talked about. These people who have those heart qualities, these people who have those inside characteristics. God's more concerned about our heart. The question is, will we be those people who are also concerned about our heart and our soul? Or are we more concerned about the external appearance? When God is concerned about the internal heart, that which drives us. So, this morning, we need to examine ourselves, not externally, but we need to examine ourselves internally. We need to peel back the layers a little bit and ask ourselves some tough questions about our own hearts. On Sunday morning, everybody gets up, everybody gets at least in something decent, takes a shower, gets kind of in ready to, to go and put on their best face on Sunday morning. You show up on Sunday morning and Everybody's had a good week, and the weather is fine to everyone. You see, on Sunday morning, we're focused on the external, and we're portraying the external. But God is concerned about the internal. Externally, you may be doing fine today, but how are you doing internally? I met a young man who moved here recently from Florida, just moved to Florida from here from Florida in the last month and a half. And his wife was from the area, so he had a little bit of familiarity with kind of the Midwest. And he made an interesting statement. He said, yeah, it's great. Everybody is so friendly and, and talks with you. But then he said, 
but you've really got to peel back the layers to find out how someone is doing. An outside perspective that can see really quickly that we're good with putting on the performance of friendliness, all is well, but we've really got to peel back the layers to find out how are we at our source, at our heart, and at our mind. This morning, what type of thoughts are running through your head? Are they thoughts that bring honor to God? Or are they thoughts that produce anxieties? Or are they thoughts that produce jealousy? What's going on in your heart today? What type of desires do you have today? A desire to to serve and to bless? Or a desire to self-sustain? Or a desire to be accepted by others, which then drives your behavior? What's the desire in your heart today? What are the thoughts in your mind today? God's concerned about that. Because the type of people that God uses are people who have their hearts in the right place. And we see this play out in the life of David. Right away after this story, we pretty much get to the most famous story in the whole Bible. David and... David and... All right, let's just get up here a little bit this morning. Thing. I mean, everybody knows this story, right? It's quoted all of the time. It's quoted almost in every single locker room. It's been quoted, I think, on our church softball field before as you're trying to motivate the troops to accomplish something. We're always Goliath on the softball field. That's beside the point, right? I mean, David and Goliath, everybody knows this story. There's a monster, about 11 foot, maybe 12 foot, somewhere in that range, 11 foot, 12 foot, who the enemy has been putting forward to the people of Israel and basically has been frightening everybody off who's basically been beating everyone, and now nobody wants to go up against Goliath. One person is basically freezing a whole nation. And now David is just coming along. Now remember, David's not king, and David's not known to be the next king yet. David is still simply a shepherd and also a harp player who's had the attention of the king. David is known basically as this, a cute young boy with some musical talents. This cute young boy with musical talents now hears about this situation. And he, and he says, to summarize, he says, Who is this who is defiling the people of God? Who is this who's defiling the nation of Israel? How can this be that someone would come against the army of the living God? David asks that, doesn't really get a good answer. So one day, David goes to the battlefield. And he goes to the battlefield, he sees this monster come out. This monster comes out and the monster says, anyone going to step forward? No one steps forward. Probably pretty wise, no one steps forward. But David says, I'll take him on. Now, everybody around him is saying, not a good idea. His brothers are saying what? Go back to the sheep, do the boy stuff, let the men handle the men's jobs. But David gets one person's attention the attention of the king. The king gives permission. He says, here, take my armor. And this we get one indication here of maybe how small David was. The armor doesn't exactly fit on David. He's not yet a fully grown man. And so David says, you know what? This stuff is just going to slow me up. So what does David do? 
Everybody knows the story. What does David grab next to take with him to battle? Slingshot. Or pebbles or rocks, whichever he grabs first. So he grabs that stuff and he goes to face the, the monster. Now, let's stop for a moment because sometimes we really draw this out into something it's not. David's not going empty-handed. And David's not going to try and accomplish something that he has no experience in. Because notice when he says to the king, if you go back and read this, his reasoning to the king that he should be able to go is this. He's protected sheep from lions and bears with his slingshot. So it's not like this is just some little slingshot that you use to shoot paper around the house with at your little brother or little sister. No, this is a real weapon that's been used previously against bears and lions or whatever to keep them away from the sheep. Okay, I don't know about you, but a bear is a pretty big deal. The fact that he's able to take down a bear is, is something we should take into consideration. So he's not coming with a blank resume. This is not David, little fourth grade boy that has no experience, stands before a monster and says, die. No, this is a young man who's got a heart that has passion. Passion for one thing, at least known from the story. That passion is the honor of God. This young man, David, knows that God's honor is being defiled because the people of God are being defiled by this monster. So this young man comes with experience fighting something that was trying to steal life. This young man comes with passion to win. This young man also comes with faith, knowing that he comes with the God who has all of the armies at his side. This young man knows that he comes in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. So this young man does not come and just say, Whoo, what am I going to do? He's confident. He's passionate. This is part of the story we oftentimes leave out. He's an underdog, but he's got some skill, he's got some passion, and he's got faith in the living God. And what does he bring? He brings the tool that he has, the slingshot. This morning, what do you bring to the table? If you want to be someone that's used by God, what do you bring to the table? Probably not a slingshot, but you bring something. A voice, writing ability, accounting ability, legal ability, teaching ability, nursing ability. What skill do you bring to the table? David brought a skill to the table, hunting. A skill that had been developed, a skill that had been used previously. And what happens when he lays that skill in the hands of the living God? They destroy the monster that no one else was able to destroy. So today, what skill are you willing to lay in the hands of the living God? We don't come empty-handed to God and say, God, here I am, do whatever. We come to God as people who have skills. We come to God as people who have giftings. We come to people... We come to people to God who have different ways, different characteristics, different personalities. We bring all of that to God. 
And now ask God, God, use these personalities. Use these giftings. Use these technical skills for your glory. David put the slingshot in the hands of the living God. Will you put your gifts and talents in the hands of the living God? Who does God use? God uses someone who has a heart, a heart for his name. Jesus reaffirms this in Matthew 5, that the people who will be the city on the hill, the people who will be the lampstand, are the people who have formed hearts that pursue peace and righteousness and humility, internal strength, soul strength. Will we be the type of people that bring our slingshots and put them in the hand of the living God? Today, if you want to be used by God, it begins by examining your heart and your mind. It begins by asking, God, would you do some formation work on my heart and my mind? That means this, you have to peel back the layers a little bit. How many of you like to peel onions? Got one. Of course, the dietician likes to peel onions. Nobody else. The first layer isn't too bad. You take off that little outer stuff that kind of falls off anyhow, and then you start getting a little bit, and then what happens? It starts burning a little bit. The tears start rolling a little bit as you pull back more and more layers and get deeper into it. The same exact thing is going to happen when we allow our layers to be peeled back in our lives. It's, it's good right away, but when we dig a little bit deeper, warning, it's going to hurt a little bit. But it's a good thing to let it hurt a little bit. Because what do you get after you take care of the onion? A bunch of seasoning for that greasy burger. And you need it, right? So today, my question is very simple. Are you going to allow someone to peel back your layers a little bit? Are you going to allow someone in your life to know your thoughts and your desires so that your heart can be formed, your heart can be shaped, to be molded into the characteristics that God wants and can use for His glory. The type of people that God uses are people who bring their talents, their personalities, their skills, and a heart for Him and lay it at His feet. The results are left in the hands of God. This morning, I believe we all want to be used by God, but I also believe that all of us want to be walking in the will of God. And they kind of go hand in hand. If you're being used by God, you're 99% you're walking in the will of God. So if you're walking in the will of God, what does that mean? It means that you're often in the midst of a murky situation. Look at the example we have here this morning from Samuel and David. What's the will of God? The will of God is that David is made king. So to get to that point, though, there's a whole lot of messiness. One, the current king is still alive. Two, David doesn't exactly have the skill set of a king yet. So from the exterior, from the outside looking in, you'd look at it and go, what is God up to here? Anointing someone who doesn't have the skill set, anointing someone that doesn't look like a military commander, and anointing someone when there's already someone king. You see, in the middle of it, Samuel's even questioning it. Samuel's saying, God, hold on here. This doesn't make a lot of sense. Shouldn't we take care of the other king first? 
What does God say, though? Go and anoint. Do what I say. So Samuel is what? Simply being faithful to what he knows. Everything else around him is murky. This is basically the Christian life and trying to find the will of God. Oftentimes people are like, I just want to know what God wants for my life. And they spend all of this energy and all of this emotion trying to find out what God wants for their life. When in actuality it begins here. Doing what God has made clearly known and walking in that direction, even in the midst of the murkiness. Because rarely, if ever, is there going to be 100% clarity. I would encourage you and challenge you. Find me a place in the Bible where there was 100% clarity for the people that were in the midst of following the will of God. I can't find it. Not only is there not 100% clarity, there's 100% illogic involved in the situation. Find me one place in the Scriptures. I challenge you on this. Find me a place in the Scriptures where the will of God is clear and logical. It simply doesn't happen. The ark. There's no logic to the ark at all. The walls crumbling from Joshua marching around it. There's no logic to that at all. Jonah living inside of a fish. Somebody, explain that to me scientifically. It doesn't work. There's no logic. Jesus dying on a cross next to two thieves for living a perfect life. There's no logic. Twelve men gathered in a small room. And from that gathering in a small room, a movement ignites that changes humanity for history. That's now the biggest movement around the whole world. There's no logic involved here, folks. For God's math, one plus one does not equal two. Because with God's math, one plus one sometimes equals a thousand. One plus one sometimes equals one. One plus one sometimes equals three. God is illogical. Because God is beyond humanity. And so today, if you're wondering, am I in the will of God? One test question would be this. Is it kind of murky where you are? Is there some illogical stuff going on? If it's not, if it's not murky and there's not illogical stuff going on, I think we should take a fair warning from the Scriptures that God would then be acting in a way that we at least don't have recorded of Him acting in the past. To live in the will of God is to act upon the known and to live in the murky. Act upon the known, live in the murky. Let's say it together. Act upon the known, live in the murky. What is known? Samuel just knows this one thing. Go and anoint one of the sons of Jesse. Everything else, Samuel is going, this isn't a good idea, God. What does he do? He acts upon the known. Every person that we've looked at in the Old Testament up to this point this summer, what did they do? They acted upon the promise of God, the one promise that they knew, that God would give them the promised land and that God would make them into a people group. Outside of that, they had no idea what was going to happen. Moses didn't know what was going on in the wilderness, but he knew they were going towards the promised land. Today, what has been made known to us? What has been made known to us is this, that death, has been conquered by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
What else has been made known to us is this, that God wants you and I to love our neighbors as ourselves. Everything else gets a whole lot murky really quick in regards to where should I live, in regards to how exactly should I use my money, in regards to how should I do with my children, what school should I take them to, how should I do with my grandchildren. It's all murky. There's not a lot of clarity. So we have to live with the clarity that we have and walk by faith in the murkiness. So today, I'm sure that many of you would like to be used by God and many of you, if not all of you, would like to be walking in the will of God. Therefore, are you willing to have your heart examined and transformed so that you can be used by God? And are you willing to obey what is known and live in the murky. David showed up and everybody thought he was crazy. His brothers simply wanted him to go back. David, who everybody thought should have stayed with the sheep and should have never been anointed to begin with. But David had what? A heart for God. And then he was used by God to accomplish maybe the greatest victory ever, saving the nation of Israel from this monster. Today, what can God use you for? Probably not going to save a nation, but maybe you could save a neighbor. Maybe you could save a co-worker. Maybe you could bring a friend out of depression. Maybe you could bless a young immigrant mother who's been left alone. Today, what could God use you for you? Use you for? Thousands of possibilities. God will use you if you're willing to allow your heart to be transformed into one that loves and has passion for his glory. Let's go forth as people offering our slingshots to God so that God can use us for his glory. Let's go forth as people who obey the known and live by faith in the murky. Let us pray. Almighty God, we acknowledge this morning that there's lots we don't understand. We acknowledge this morning that lots of times there's doubts in a step of action we should take. So today, God, in the midst of those doubts, we pray that you grant us the faith and the ability to obey what is known and step out in faith. Lord, this morning I pray that you'd peel back the layer on each person here. God, I pray that you would remove the facade this morning. I pray this next week you'd remove the facade in people's lives, enable their hearts to be healed, and their hearts to be transformed, that we can be used by you. God, I pray this morning that you would use each talent that's gathered in this room. I pray that you'd use each skill that's gathered in this room for your glory. And I pray today, O Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would enable us to walk in your will. In Jesus' name, amen. David stood before Goliath and he said, The Lord of hosts is with me. That's the name 
that David faced the giant, the Lord of hosts. Today, that same God promises to be by our side because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so today, if you want to experience that life of God by your side, it begins by trusting in his promises, acknowledging that he is God, and opening your heart to him. So many people leave here every single Sunday and leave churches everywhere on a Sunday with something good in their mind, an action step, and it actually never happens. Today, if you know, you need to peel back the layers a little bit and have your heart examined to have some healing. Do it sooner rather than later. Because if you wait, it won't happen. Every single person in this room should probably have a professional counselor at their side. Everybody here needs counseling of some sort at some point. Now, you don't have to go find a professional this week, but are you willing to go find a fellow follower of Jesus that you can peel back the layers with so that your heart can be transformed and you can be healed? Let's go forth and join the God of angel armies by our side, opening our hearts to one another for his glory. Go in peace and serve the Lord.